God and Other Delicacies has a weekly newsletter. If you'd like to subscribe, email me at godsdelicateshow at gmail.com and I'll put you on the list. Also, if you're a fan of the show, please subscribe, rate it, and leave a one to two sentence review on iTunes or wherever else you can give it a little push. It helps the show reach more listeners, plus it means a lot to me because I read them and it's nice to read nice things. Hello, everyone. Welcome to God and Other Delicacies. I'm Nicholas D'Agosto. Thank you all for being here. Today, I have the privilege of welcoming Robert Baker to the show. Robert is a professional television, film, and stage actor. Of his long list of credits, a few highlights are his standout roles in shows like Grey's Anatomy, Wrecked, Texas Rising, Justified, Longmire, and Supergirl. Baker and I have known each other a long time now. And he's a part of this USC group of friends that listeners on my show have heard me speak about. We've been guests at each other's weddings. We had sons just a few months apart from each other. And when I won my fantasy football championship in 2018, Baker was the guy who passed the trophy to me, having himself been a two-time back-to-back champ. It's an honor to have you here, man, from one champ to another. Welcome to the show, Baker. Oh, thank you, champ. That's a good one. That's a great intro. That's a good That's a good intro. Let's oh, let everybody good. know ahead of time what kind of credentials <laughs> we, exactly we got right. coming. We've earned this conversation. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, it's so fun. I don't know how many fantasy football fans I have on this show, but uh, I certainly enjoy that's talking about it. a big business. It. There's got to be a good percentage, I would bet. <laughs> Hey, man, thanks for coming in. My pleasure. Thanks it's, for having me. It's lovely to see you. As yeah. everyone knows, I've had a, a handful of our buddies on before. I know, I know. And, and uh, Hallie was just on yeah. uh, as we recorded this. I had no this. idea she was a Quaker. That was pretty wild. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, they have a cool thing going. Yeah. <laughs> Quakers. I was really impressed with that. It was um, the beauty and simplicity, beauty uh-huh. and silence. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, man, it was really gorgeous. I, she had mentioned it to me just kind of off the cuff at one point, and I was like, okay. Right. I'll have you in here. It's very almost soon. something you think like, <laughs> does that even exist anymore? Those weird little very specific religions that are in that part of the country. Yeah, I was just talking to this guy, Paul James, uh, who I just who was the episode just before yours actually. Uh-huh. As I as we record this, he was the one I just recorded. And he's talking about Christian science. And he says that oh. they don't proselytize at all. So they actually are a dying religion, Christian science. Huh. So, like they don't they don't go out, they don't try to recruit. Um, I guess maybe if you're born into it, you know, maybe that's, you stay in that's it. That's it, huh? Yeah, wow. but he he seems to give me the impression that that thing's actually, it is actually dying. Wow. And uh, I guess Quakers are to some extent too, because they don't proselytize. Huh. Um, yeah, it's fascinating. And it would be interesting to see if in another hundred years they're around, or if they've morphed into something else, yeah. or if their ideas have been brought into another that, o- that oatmeal ain't selling like it used to, I guess. People <laughs> <laughs> are not learning about Quakerism through that smiling face at the breakfast table. Very good. Very good. How did I go an entire episode with Hallie and not talk about Quaker oats? <laughs> All right, man. What did you have for breakfast this morning? Oh, boy. I got a good I had a good one. For a long time, I always did overnight, cooked steel-cut oats overnight. I love steel cutouts. My house, my household got very tired of them. I would cook it, and then like nobody would eat. Even I would like barely <laughs> eat. It. So we started doing them cold. You just take take a cup of oats. Use a can of we use a can of coconut milk. You can use water though. I don't think it would be good. Some kind of alt milk is what we would we do. And then you just load them up with whatever fruit, flaxseed syrup, peanut butter, almond, whatever floats your boat that you like in oatmeal. You just put it all in there, stir it up really well, and leave it overnight. It's good, man. It's good. Good eating in the morning. Do you leave it in the fridge? Leave it in the fridge overnight. And so it just because the water is cold, they just it takes soak a longer time to soak it in. Yeah, but you've it does got it. Soak I mean, you have to time. leave it in overnight. Like if you, you couldn't, it wouldn't be ready in four hours if you're using like if you're not using instant oats. Yeah, it, but you wake up like, in the morning and it's all just kind of like this. It's this, all there. This cool, cold. When the boy wants to eat at six or. 10 to 6, is, he's been waking up so early recently, then okay. it's just like, there it is. It's ready to go. I have to do, I just spoon it into the bowl. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. I'm going to try that. It's good. And then like, my wife likes, she doesn't like cold oats, so it's like, you can warm it up too. And then that's, it's easy. I, the cold is a nice change of pace. Yeah. I do also do that. Um, my wife makes fun of me because I, I end up Liking them very dry. dry. Do you? Yeah. So like I when I when I cook them on the stove, I uh, I basically boil almost all the moisture yeah. out of them, 
I'm not sure if I've talked about this on the show, but I think I have an excessive amount of saliva. <laughs> so I think I need <laughs> things in my life. Like I really like shortbread cookies. Mm -hmm. I like things that are super dry. Scones. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Scones, biscotis. Right? Yeah. Uh, so I guess if I, if I start going, you know, I'll just start spitting on people in conversation. Right, right. That's why I, keep the, that's why I keep the chairs four feet apart. It's appreciated. <laughs> it's good. It's a very respectful distance. Uh, well, thank you for having a lovely, interesting breakfast where I got to learn something. Yeah, yeah. Try it out, everybody. It's good stuff. All right, let's get into it. How and when were you introduced to the idea of God in your life? Uh, I was introduced pretty early and pretty often, though, though not at home. I grew up in northeast Arkansas. I was born in Memphis and grew up, it, I guess, I always thought it was the deep south, but I guess it's really more the mid-south. But it's the Bible Belt, for sure. So, you know, everybody goes to church there. and It's very Christian and... Uh, Actually, on the farm that my family owned that I grew up on, we rented a little bit of land to a Baptist church. And uh, I remember going there once or twice. My I, And I remember my dad was just like, don't go. He's like, you're not going to like this. And it was terrifying. It was just hellfire and damnation pretty much. And it was like they wanted people to come up like right then and there to be saved or you were going to hell. It's like Southern Baptist, very, no offense to the Southern Baptists that might be listening, but geez, it's very, it was, I just remember how severe it was. And I was just like, this is, this, that's, that's amazing. That's so I have me. a couple of quick questions. So like, how big is your farm and what are you farming? We don't have it anymore. Yeah. I'm sorry. At the time, at the uh, time. it was, mm, it was a, couple thousand acres. It was big. Wow. We farmed wheat and soybeans. And then um, we farmed a little bit of cotton, but it wasn't worth it. To do cotton, you really have to have a lot. Cotton takes a lot of care. Uh, care in, in, in air quotes. Yeah. Um, then we, we changed that cotton field to rice. Arkansas is like one of the biggest rice growing states. But rice, you have to grow in with like a water. You grow it right? in water. Yeah, right. Yeah, you right. flood the fields. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. The farm was on the Mississippi River. We, I grew up on an oxbow lake that where the river had cut out, and then they build the levee along is the that, river. That's called an oxbow. That's lake? called an oxbow. Say lake. that again, yeah. please, for me. An oxbow lake. I'm sorry, but what is it exactly again? It's uh, like so the river has basically cut, you know, just through erosion has basically worn part of the soil in, and it basically does like a loop that's like an offshoot of the river, but then you build a levee, a levee and also like a drainage system so you can add water to the lake from the river if you oh, want through places in the wow. levee. And then uh, so are these, it's, it's these mini, it's these mini access points to have the flooding of fields in different areas. Exactly. And it just makes super fertile soil because wow. you get so it's got so much water in it. The water table is so high there. You know, the biggest water system in the United States is two miles maybe as the crow flies from our farm. And it's its consistent state is to flood all the time down there in anyway. So the soil's already yes. incredibly saturated. Yeah, I mean that's what the levees are for is to prevent that flooding. Now as opposed to like if you if you're crossing from West Memphis, Arkansas into Memphis, Tennessee the levee is very far back in West Memphis. So there'll be times when it floods and the river is like two miles wide. It's just like this enormous body of water. And, you know, and those farmers are just waiting for it to flood. So they get their disaster relief money. They're like, oh, we don't have to, it's fine. It's oh, great. right. Yeah, yeah. They, yeah. Get like a, they get like a season off. You get a season off and you get a big check from the government. Right. Yeah. I know you said this. It wasn't until you just said West Memphis and Memphis, Tennessee, that I put it together that there are two Memphises. Yeah, Is like there's two St. Louis. And two Kansas City. Right, right. Uh, yeah, there's like the St. Louis and East St. Louis... Yeah, and then Kansas City is in Kansas and Missouri. Yeah, exactly. Right, exactly. a very famous, uh, very same, <laughs> very famous example of that's of right Kansas City being in the the news recently <laughs> yeah, at right. the recent Super Bowl and our yeah, president. That's right. Uh, um, that's cool. But you grew up on the Arkansas side. on the Arkansas side. Yeah, that's really cool, man. I I didn't know about this stuff. Two thousand acres. Does that mean that your father and your family worked those fields, or I mean, were you a part of the business of running that farm, or a did farmer you, leased it? A farmer leased it. He leased it from us. My great grandfather 
He probably did some of it actually himself, but then over time it was leased to a farmer. There were no, you know, this is going to sound very sexist, but this is the reality of that area, really that time more than anything. But like my great grandfather had three daughters, so their lot in life was not to go and be the farmer right basically right, so right. They, they he there was a farmer who lived there who is very close with our family i mean we I, to, to this day who leased the land from us and he did the actual farming of it wow yeah how many years did you spend on that i mean did you grow your whole like there. childhood yeah. until high school or college or whatever yeah till i was so I was 18. Yeah. Wow. So I moved here. So I moved to LA. Wow. Yeah. I don't think I under, I knew that I knew where you were from. Yeah. I don't think I understood that you grew up on so much land. Yeah. It was a big piece of land. It was very isolated because it was a, there was a farm in our backyard and then our front yard was our lake. Wow. And so the lake, we, there were lake houses that were people from Memphis's summer and weekend houses basically. So they would come there and weekend and, you know, we were there year round and there was just nobody around like we, so you kind of lived in a vacation spot but also a working farm yeah yeah the a seasonal vacation spot a year-round working farm yes that's accurate i'd say yeah that's a strange juxtaposition it's very strange so you just very had random strange. people coming in or maybe you got to know families over time that would come in at a certain time of the year some some but for the most part it was it was random like people would own their houses and then they'd rent it to a family for two weeks or, you know, the pre Airbnb days. You right, know, right. Would, you, it would be something like that. Or, you know, my aunt would own a house and she would have somebody in for the summer or something like that. And you have one brother. I have two. You have two brothers. I have two. One Where older, do you one fall in, I'm one in the other, middle. You're in the yeah, middle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Right I'm in the, the middle. middle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Was your mother religious or is your mother religious? Uh, she was raised Catholic. She went to Catholic school. Uh, her dad's parents were Irish immigrants so and they grew up in the northeast they grew up in my maternal grandfather grew up in New York in uh Queens I think and they were catholic and then he was in the war he was a he was a doctor he was a doctor in Japan in the war and then when he came back he moved to Memphis to start practice uh, I don't know. I, I never found out why exactly. No, it, it it was a couple of steps in between. It wasn't just then because I remember my aunt, my mom's eldest sister was born in New York. So I guess he met, but my my grandmother was from Georgia. So I don't know how, I don't know where they met. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll probably never find out. Uh, so <laughs> <Yeah>. they, <laughs> they eventually landed in Memphis. My mother was born there. My mother was is the third of five daughters. And, oh, wow. And, yeah. And Fine she... Girls. Uh, she was the first one born in Memphis. So they lived in New York and then in Cleveland and then Memphis. And my father was not religious, uh, big hippie. They were both big hippies. He didn't have much of a childhood. Well, he didn't have a stable childhood, at least. He kind of, his dad wasn't really around and he got kicked out of a few schools. And, you know, there's, there are stories of him some of them in, in books, like about him sleeping in his car in, you know, in like high school, he'd get kicked out of his house. So he'd just sleep in his car. Basically he was a musician and he would play in clubs when he was a teenager. And basically they would play from like, you know, 10 PM to 2 a, 2 AM or nine to two, or just like these crazy over late things. And then he would just basically sleep for a couple of hours and then go to school. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Sleep in his car for a couple hours and then go to school. What an interesting dude. So yeah. he was doing this in, in Memphis? In Memphis, yeah. In Memphis, Arkansas? No, no, no. Uh, Memphis, Tennessee. This is Memphis, yeah, Tennessee. Yeah, it's, it's West Memphis, Arkansas. West, it's, it's, it yeah, you would only call them West Memphis. Yes, I exactly. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Though, strangely enough, the really cool jumping clubs for like live music that were also like integrated and, you know, lots of black musicians, everything. They were in West Memphis. The polite society folk from Memphis, when they wanted to cut loose and get out, would cross over the river and go to West Memphis to these, like, for real, like, juke joints and, like, honky-tonks and stuff. You would never guess it if you were there now, but, like, like these crazy 
clubs that served liquor by the drink and stuff like that, which was a big deal back then. They didn't do that. It was like a bottle or it was beer or something, you know. Wow, yeah, wow. Yeah, it's pretty neat. When did your parents meet or how? Um, my mom, let's see. She's she's about 10 years younger than him. Oh, that's a big difference. A big difference, yeah. Um, her eldest sister introduced them, and I think my dad was kind of like, "Hey, who's your little sister?" I think it was, <laughs> I think it was as, as, as romantic as that is. I think it was something along those lines. Um, my older brother was born in '76, so I guess they probably met in like '73, '74. I think my mom started going to see his shows with her elder sisters, and then met that way. Your mother didn't bring you to the Baptist church. No, it was uh, it was people in the community. They were just like, you got to come to this. And it was like, we, we never get your dad to come. And he was just like, no, you're never going to get me to come. And then it was like, yeah, I'll go. And I'll go. And it's like, why? You know, and then like dad would be like, okay, sure. You know, I'll give him a ride or whatever. Or, or you can walk or whatever he would do. And then it would just be these terrible experiences. And so it was like... No thanks. Yeah, how old are you? Can you remember? Like speculate? Um eight and ten, probably something like that. Young, seven, eight, nine, ten, something like that. There was also in the little town nearby where we went to school, there was a Methodist church where more of our friends from the school went to. Methodist is a little more laid back. It's not quite I don't know. I, I can't honestly I don't remember a lot of the tenets of it or anything. I don't know what they believe that makes it unique to that sect of protestantism or i've had some people that are were raised methodist on this and i don't even feel comfortable venturing exactly what the differences are i just know i know that it's spoken of that the baptist is a much more explosively emotional and spiritual sort of experience especially southern baptist there's first baptist and southern baptists in the i think i went to a first baptist church once or twice too and they weren't quite so they weren't quite so severe it was a little more uh, mainstream, you know. I went to a I went to a bunch of weird little like Southern churches. I went to one that was just because you were interested. I was interested, and it was more just like you had friends that went, and they were like, "Hey, do you want to go to to church with us or something?" Because we were like one of the only unaffiliated families in the town, you know, or like in the community or at the school or whatever. And you were like the bad house. You were like the, what's going on over there? He's bit, a musician. A little bit. He had long hair. Okay. Uh, I remember he had, yeah. he, I remember he had a, a Cramps t-shirt. You remember the band, The Cramps? I it was don't like actually. kind of a punk, kind of like horror rock band. They're really good. It was this album called What's Inside a Girl, and it's like a guy <laughs> looking at a girl with x-ray specs, and you see, like, you know, she's, like, half-dressed, but he's, like, seeing through her. Right. You know, like right. the old ads yeah, for yeah, x-ray yeah. specs. Right, you can see through her clothes a little yeah, bit. You get a hint it, of nudity. Oh and it was just, like... He would, right, in that he, area. He would wear that around. He didn't care. <laughs> He's dropping you off at the Baptist church yeah, in that right, T-shirt. Right, or he'd be, at the, he'd be at the football games because we were in the band, and the band would play at football games he would be like sitting in the crowd at that church yeah nobody really knew what to to make of did you have a sense of that like people around you would kind did you get in i were you getting a vibe that's like huh people are they're trying to make me feel like my dad is not raising me the right way i didn't quite get that i think my older brother may have gotten a sense of that at that time of our lives he kind of bought in a little bit more to the small town mentality it was never quite I don't mean to speak ill of it. It was just never for me. You know, I was like, I don't really care what they think of him. It's none of their business, frankly. You know, like I didn't, I was always sort of, I was also kind of always sort of counting the days. You know what I mean? It was like, I got two more years of school and sayonara, you know. Right. But um, I guess there was a little bit of it. I never really thought about it all that much, honestly. It didn't. You were also really close to your dad. I mean, right? I mean, I'm, I'm right to... I'm, we haven't talked a lot about that, but I yeah. get a sense that you were... Was there a deep difference in relationships between any of the brothers and your father? Was your father accessible yeah. as a young child? No, or? he wasn't. And, okay. the, and the relationship with me was probably the worst. Oh, I okay. I, I, we didn't have a very good relationship up until probably about the last bit of his life, which I was only 16. So we didn't have a great relationship. And I just think... Uh, since I've lived the majority of my life without him, like I've kind of, uh, 
I, I don't know. I think I have a better relationship with his memory than I ever do with him, wow. with his physical being. You know what, man? Actually, that's like a really nice point to cut for the first break. It's a good like jumping off point and it leaves us with like a nice heavy place for us to jump back into. Sure. So let's take a little breather and we'll be right back. Great. Right, everybody, we're back with Baker. He just talked about how just the very beginnings of where he was at with his dad and his dad's very early death in his life uh, at the age of Robert was only 16. So Bake, I keep calling you a bunch of different names. You're Baker, you're Robert, you're Bake, you know, (laughs) to people that listen, now you understand. He has a lot of nicknames. But um, so can you tell me where you were at with your relationship with your dad as you're Mm-hmm. you know, as you're getting into your teen years and then just kind of tell me about what happened to your dad. Like, I don't know. Did he die of cancer? Like, was it something you saw coming? No. Um, uh, he was murdered. My father <gasps> was murdered. Uh, oh my goodness. Along with his aunt when we were, I was 16. Uh, it was a a home invasion robbery at my aunt's house, and then my dad showed up in the middle of it. I mean, he was really just in the wrong place at the wrong time. Uh, and our relationship was... Uh, it, it was tough because, you know, everybody's like, oh, he remind, you reminded him of him and all that kind of thing. You know, it was actually starting to get a little better. I think, I think it was because I didn't have to him, what seemed like real interests. And I think he kind of just sort of thought, ah, he's just going to do whatever he's going to, you know, or he doesn't know or he doesn't care. And, and then I think in the last year of his life, I started doing a lot of theater. The last year to two years of his life, I was doing a lot of theater. And he and he could, I think he saw that I was into it because he was a musician. He wanted he kind of wanted everybody to play music. He was also very difficult about it. You know, it was like, you can play, you better not ever be as good as I am, but you can, (laughs) but you can play if you want. Uh, And then when that, when he, I think when he saw that wasn't really taking for me, that he was glad to see that I was into something that he found of value as well. You know what I mean? Essentially an artistic point of view. Yeah. I mean, I think if I had been super into farming, he might've thought that was cool. Or if I had been into like, wanted to be a vet or, you know, a veterinarian or something like that, he might've, he might've thought that was cool, but definitely he had an artistic bent and that was, cause that was just his life, you know, and you kind of, I find that that's where I'm drawn to people that I meet. I, I think that's people that have things in common with you, you tend to get along with better. I think that just makes, that's just human nature to an extent, I think. But it was improving our relationship. Uh, And plus, you know, I mean, you're still, you're so unformed at that age, you know. You're crazy young. I I can't even imagine, you know, you and I both have sons. I, teenage years, I'm so terrified of. (laughs) And our kids are are toddlers. And I'm I'm already thinking about how scared the teenage years I am. I know, now I'm tuning in to everybody that's around those. I'm just tuning in at any age of someone that I feel is like genuinely young. And the problem is I'm like, 21-year-olds are genuinely young. Genuinely and, young. And I remember feeling like I was, I was like, I had my shit together at oh, 21. Totally. I, I, totally. Like, I had thoughts. I was ready to go. Oh, 25. I had accomplished shit. <laughs> 25, 26 <laughs> is still so young. And it's you like, you these are so babies at 15. Oh, yeah. And you were, yeah. that means you're like a baby at 16. Oh, for sure. For sure. Um, Holy shit, man. Yeah. I did not know that yeah. that's how that happened. That's how it happened. It was real. It was, uh, I mean, to... Real under a very an understatement to say it was a really bad thing, but that's was a really bad thing, <laughs> you know. Wow, man. Um, I mean, that was how can that not be like? Oh, that is just so def- that is just so defining and shocking. It is. It's very it's very defining and um, and violence affects so many people, so many more people than just the the people that it affects, you know, it affects the family of the people who it was committed against. It affects the family of the people who committed it. Um, 
it's the community it's because of small community something like that doesn't happen very often uh really it's it's very far reaching and uh yeah and it's uh it's people you guys must have known we did yeah yeah, wow. uh, the guy. That, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, we don't have to go into all of it, but I, yeah, it's, but, it's it has. But what you're saying is, is that this is God. not. <laughs> yeah, but the, the it's not like it was a stranger even that walked through. Right. It was. Right. It was right. Wow. Okay. That's really heavy. It is heavy. It's heavy. There's no. Diff- how the hell? How the hell does a 16 year old Robert Baker start to make sense of that? It takes takes him about 12 years <laughs> until he starts going to therapy. If I can be political for one second, every victim of violent crime should have to take at least one meeting with a social worker, hmm. and then they can opt out of it because that's their right. But they should be given that opportunity, and the state should provide it. Hmm. Uh, I wish something like that had been provided to me, it would have made a big difference. It would have made a very big difference with my younger brother. I know that. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, so it took a long time. It took a very long time to get any sort of uh, clarity, peace, anything. And um, I cannot imagine. When that happened, it did lead to probably the most devout time for me as it go in a traditional sense of that, like I, my mom and I would go to. There was a guy who uh, at Calvary Church in downtown Memphis, a guy named Doug Bailey, a lovely man, really nice man. He was pretty hip, like he was big into the outreach. He was big into community outreach, drug rehabilitation, things like that. As far as like, uh, kind of not just talking the talk, you know, really into doing the the hard work of it. So she and I would go, and my younger brother, because he had no choice, because <laughs> he was 11, we would go We would go pretty much every Sunday for about a year or two. And then when I moved to L.A., and I would go every once in a while to just to the chapel at SC. And it was uh, Episcopalian, which is uh, Catholic light is what they call it. <laughs> uh, and it was, it's nice, you know, it was... Uh, it was it was comforting. It was uh, it genuinely was comforting. Um, I don't know if it was like the teaching or the idea of an omnipotent being or anything like that is where the comfort was. I think it was just more the community. It was just like there were a lot of people there to find this comfort, and I think that was very appealing and very needed. You know, at that time in my life. This is an amazing time, Bake. I mean, <laughs> you know, so just to be clear, I probably didn't meet you, for the listeners, I probably didn't meet you until you were like 24, 25. I think we were 24, 25, something like that. That sounds about right. So you went to college. You, you come out to USC. Did you come to USC at 18? 18. So you came out to USC from a small town in West Memphis uh-huh. with this just enormous life experience like this weight yeah and yeah. you came out <laughs> yeah and you're 18 and you're like diving into LA you're yeah. like able to put your life into your you know you knew you wanted to be an actor so you're around a right. bunch of other artists and everything i mean in my head i'm going like are you even able to talk about this with people in school at that time are you able to even are you kind of just dodging this question yeah yeah mostly just dodging it um I think Will Greenberg is maybe the first person out here I ever told about it. I know you've had Will on your show, yeah, which well, is why I rattle his name off. Of I course. think he may have been the first person I ever really told about it out here. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, but for the most part, I just avoided it. It didn't. It, you know, it just didn't. I was in no place to talk about it. I wasn't ready to talk about it. I didn't. I also didn't want the pity. Mm. I didn't want the I didn't want it to make me seem different. I think it's probably as simple as that. I just wanted to be like everybody else. I just had this because I thought of myself that way. I just had this one thing that made it different. I mean, it's a it's a now later in life I realize how different something like that is, but yeah, and I just wasn't ready to talk about it. I couldn't. Like I couldn't I couldn't have talked about it then like I can talk about it now, you know. But that's 24 years of life and 
10 years of therapy and, you know, having a child of my own and that whole thing to work through that. So, so you're doing the Episcopal thing. Yeah. You're doing, doing Catholic thing. light. Yeah. Catholic light. Catholic and then it light. sounds like you just did it for a couple of years. So maybe you're around 20 or 21. Years. I was 21 and you want to know what, what <laughs> you're like, I can drink now. Get the you, fuck out of the way. No, you no, want to no, know. Of course you were it, already drinking. What did it for me was actually reading the Bible. <laughs> kind of took me out of it because I read it and I took this great class that was taught by a, the guy was a minister, but he showed the Bible is just a collection. There are other books that were supposedly written by the same people that didn't make it in and they are very different. They show, you know, like, because Jesus, right, he's born and then you don't see him again until he's... I don't know. Sure, like he's until he's in his ministry, so he's in his like thirties. You know, he died right. at thirty-three is the number I think. So, so basically, he's like maybe thirty the, so or there's, something. There's twenty or more years that are just unaccounted for. Right. It's like, so what was he doing those twenty or so years? And so, like, I've read these things that were like rather unflattering. That were like books that just weren't put in because they were not just like he is perfect. He is, you know. Oh like, right, yeah. I mean, the Bible has been, uh, of course. Uh, and it, it, Curated, yes. so like, so like the Bible has been curated right. uh, over right. time, and they have excised certain things that they didn't like that weren't on message. Right, but he also showed us like, it's like okay, well here is this story. This story is a device. This story is a literary device at the time it was written. Like Good, the Virgin. That's birth. a smart guy. I like that. Like the Virgin Birth, that exact same thing happens in in Egyptian lore. Totally, it's like. So it kind of good sort of made me just take a. I was just like, okay. I was like, all right. So maybe that's not really the case. And then over time, it just started getting further and further away from me to where I just didn't believe and and became a pretty, what I would say, a pretty devout atheist. Though I'm not anymore. Oh, interesting. Though I'm not, I would be hard pressed to say that I believe something very specific. Uh, when on my 40th birthday, I saw Nick Cave of all people. He did this show. He's, I guess, a couple of years ago, he lost a son, a, a teenage son wow. of his died in a crazy accident, and uh, I think really shut him down for a while. And then he started doing this on his website these things like called the red hand chronicles or something where it's like just he's just talking about loss and people coming in and he's like and it was a cool night it was like it was the disney concert hall downtown and like he would play a couple songs on the piano then he'd come out and ask questions and he'd talk to the audience and like somebody asked him about it and he was like about what he believed and if he believed and he was just like he's like 10 years ago no i don't he's like now because of what's happened and just what I've had to deal with and what, you know, my family's had to deal with. And he said this, I'll, I'll never forget, it, and this is what changed my mind. He said, atheism is, yes, it is a more intellectually honest way to live, but atheism is bad for the business of songwriting. Hmm. And I mean, I, I almost passed out. It was like, I was just like, whoa. It's like, what an incredible way to put it. Like, you know, if you try to take what I took him to say is you, if you're trying to take all the magic out of the world to make it all line up in your brain in a way that you can see, well, that's not very fucking interesting. <laughs> that's mm. not very romantic. That's not sexy. There's nothing... That's not very, there's not much art in that, quite frankly. That's very, that's a very dry way to look at something. It's a very black or white way to look at this very gray life that we're all in. I don't mean gray in a depressing way. I no, just where mean, the edges aren't defined. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Um, so when he said that, it really, it, it shook me. Well, I think It about just absolutely shook me. And I don't even know if I'll call myself agnostic now, but I'm not an atheist anymore. I, mm. I you know, I, I can't say what I am, but I won't, I would never say I'm an atheist again after he said that. I was just like, fuck, man, you're right. Mm. <laughs> like, you're right. It doesn't leave a whole lot of room for magic, and that's kind of what everybody's 
what everybody's trying to find or trying to do, you know, and it's like, yeah, (laughs) tearing up thinking about it now. (laughs) Yeah, that's really beautiful. It was heavy, man. When he said it just, and it was just so simple, like, and just such a great way to put it. (laughs) It's just like atheism is bad for the business of songwriting. It's just like, like, wow. Yeah. I'm really, I keep thinking about the word transcendence. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You know, music can help us transcend a moment. Yeah. Art helps us transcend moments. Yeah. And what are we transcending? What part of us is transcending? What is the what is the experience of transcendence? Right. What could a physical body transcend? I mean, right. you know, like it's But uh, he's trying to he's transcending as he writes and he's allowing us to share in his experience and create our own feeling of transcendence as we rise above right collectively and through his music rise above something right it's just mundane that is the mundane world yeah and then in what you and i do for a living in our own small way we're trying to do the same thing really there's not much difference we're trying to transcend the person we are to get somebody to believe that we're this other person we're presenting ourselves as right even though that person was most of the time created by another person a writer or whomever created this person. And then we're trying to transcend somebody's belief that we are not this person, we're that person. And then once we get there, we as a a collective are trying to make a transcendent experience for the viewer. Right. That it's this, that this whole thing, you know, this suspension of disbelief, if you're willing to believe for a second that we're not the people that you know, we are, we will try not to be the people you, we know you are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we can all be in this collective uh, fantasy for a few minutes, and then we'll go back to getting shit together for our income taxes. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. So since then, since my 40th birthday, which has been about six months ago. What a fucking rocking day yeah, to have man. something like that drop on you, too. Yeah. Like obviously, you were smart to go to a show like that on your 40th. That's when my, that's when my wife. That was a surprise. Well, I had no idea I was doing it. Fucking rad. <laughs> I know. Wife is rad. Yeah. But also, what an amazing, at a time in our lives, like, because I'm... I'm feeling 40, like every, all my other buddies are feeling 40, all my other friends. It's a, it's, it is the time it's cracked up to be. It gives you yeah. a lot of time to sit and reflect. It's an important moment for reflection. Just this important, succinct, beautiful piece of poetry that he speaks to you really nails Yeah, you. and we're also fairly new fathers. Yes. And our kids are getting to a time now where they are just, just starting to get the first inkling of any kind of understanding about anything besides you go in the toilet. And yes. You, and, like, you, it's if it's cold outside, you do need the jacket, you know, like, because that's all, whatever, you're just keeping them alive the first couple of years. Yeah, I man. Mean, really. God, the first, the first year, at least, you're just keeping them alive. Oh, for sure. Um Still trying to keep that little guy alive. Oh god, he's yeah. always trying to kill himself. Oh no, god, they're always they're, they're also suicidal. <laughs> um, so it's like okay, so now it's it's also like I'm I, I'm in a point where I need to figure out what it is that I really want him to have from me. So mm. like when he thinks about it one day, and I, I mean I hope I'll be there to he can actually ask me a question. I don't know. I guess because my experience is I don't have that and I haven't for so long. Like, I just have to assume. So I just can only hope that he'll have some good things to, to think on then. At least I, but I, I'm planning on being there for him to ask. <laughs> well, I certainly hope you will be. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> I don't for want sure. this, I don't want this story to turn it, you know, in any sort of familiar way. No, 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 not at all. Um, man, I can't believe it, but that's this is the last break. Okay, we'll be right okay. back, and we'll jump off from here in uh, in just a couple minutes. Thanks. Cool. Okay, everyone, we're back in our last segment with Robert Baker. Um, Bake. Now that you're deeply engaged in this process of trying to understand your own sense of spirituality, defining it in a new way than you said you would have defined it over the last 10 years, probably. Uh How have you and your wife started to grapple with how you want to impart that to him? Have you thought about going into a structure, finding a community, or 
you know, a faith community or a non-faith yeah. community? Just a have you thought about things like that? We haven't really. That that hasn't really been discussed. Uh, funny enough, uh, my wife wasn't really raised religious either. She's she's from Canada too, and it's just not. You know, Canada wasn't founded by Puritans like mm. this U.S. was. So it's just it's it's a little. Not that I don't mean to say that there's not an importance of religion and every religion under the sun isn't represented there, but it's just not quite the other of someone who is not religious. Like I saw some poll the other because there are all the primaries going on right now. Like how hard it would still be for an atheist. Like they sure. like how with with Buttigieg, he's a gay Christian. That would still be better than a straight atheist, yes, you know, which right, is like, right. which is great. I, you know, I, but I, it's like, well, what, what difference does it really make? It's just crazy the attitude about it in this country. Yeah, I mean, the word atheism. I've said this before on the show, but when I was being raised, it was like synonymous with the devil. It's a dirty word. Yeah, <laughs> it's a terrible. Yeah, which is word. so funny because, like, well, no, they don't believe in the devil either. <laughs> no, exactly, man. No, that's. A, it's also that way with my wife. She was not raised in a particularly. Um, she wasn't raised in Canada, but she was raised near Canada. She was in Green Bay. Yeah, there you go. Um, so maybe it's in it's the too great. Cold. Maybe it's in the Great Lakes water. It's just too cold. Yeah, right. <laughs> She's very much open to it and is a spiritual being, but she doesn't uh, feel incredibly compelled to have to define that or yeah. find a faith community in the way it sounds like your wife is also similar. Yeah. But it sounds like also she's open to you talking about it or at least the discussion of what it means to you in that way. Right. It's and you know and we've talked about like do we baptize him? Like I mean right. I was baptized by a, a family friend, you know, we didn't do you know it was uh who knows? It might it might not have even counted. He was a minister, but you know it might not. Who knows? Right. Instead of like dropping you in water, they just rubbed a little Tennessee whiskey on your gums. It was it was water <laughs> from our lake. It was lake water. Oh, cool. That's, was, see, that's it, really it was, that's really beautiful. It was all three of uh, my brothers and I both were baptized with the the water from our uh, from the lake we grew up. That's on. actually more biblical than than doing it in the church. Yeah, probably. That's old school, man. <laughs> probably. Just, you know, doing it <laughs> Go in, down to the water, the water source yeah. and put them in the white... I mean, we just weren't in the white in the robes, but yeah, you know, to go down and dunk them in there. We didn't even do that. They just kind of did a little bit on the forehead. Or yeah, whatever. yeah. I remember when my younger brother was was baptized, he asked if he could take some of it to baptize the dog. How sweet. <laughs> God, children are great. <laughs> I know. I know. So yeah. are you thinking that... And again, it doesn't. I'm not sure if you are, but are you thinking... Have you started considering trying to find a community that might be adjacent to the kinds of thoughts you are considering now about you know you're in an you're in an amorphous spiritual yeah, moment right, right? It, you're like non-atheist but non-christian and right. I mean frankly I'm sort I I have sympathy for that yeah. I have empathy for that in that I'm there's in not a much world. place for it honestly there's like it's, yeah. it's like you have to it's like because then you're that ambiguous thing that's like, well, I'm not a religious person, I'm a spiritual person. Because I don't even think of myself as a spiritual person. Mm. It's just like, I'm just saying, I don't know. Yeah. And I'm leaving, and I, which I guess is agnostic or whatever, but it's like, I'm leaving space for magic. I'm not going to cut magic out of it. Or, right. Or, or wonder, or like, I'm not going to pretend like I know it all anymore. Yes. I did that for a long time, and it was not true. <laughs> you yeah, know, or you just, evolved, you know, yeah. you evolved. And yeah. I, I've done that same thing, man. I had to go really hard against my Catholic upbringing and my Christian stuff. Yeah, I, can I was imagine. very devout as a young kid. Um, I mean, people have different experiences. I was just super yeah. devout for a while as a right. young kid. And so right. it was harder for me. It took longer for me to try to understand, okay, what do I really, what do I love when I'm talking about this thing that I love? Because I don't like these things, so the the wonder and love and this connection is coming from somewhere, yeah, and it means something. It doesn't have to be defined like that. So I've spent a long time. I had to push it all away, and now I can kind of bring it back. And frankly, this show, I'm this is part of my journey right now because I don't know, and I love talking to people about like how they're doing it, yeah, because I definitely feel wonder. I definitely. I mean, I don't have to look. I mean, man, you get out a little outside the city and all the city lights, and I I can sit and stare at the stars for hours, sure. and I can just sit there and be in total awe. And people get that awe in churches, and yeah, uh, I don't uh, anymore. But right. I right. I have found communities. I've mentioned it before. I found a little Unitarian church uh-huh. community that I dig. It's not really they don't ever use God, uh, and there's no Bible there, but it's a community of people that yeah. come together. That's kind of cool to me. Yeah, that is. I Yeah, I mean, I don't even know what it is that I would want to impart to him in that, as far as that goes, like, because obviously you don't need religion to be moral. 
Right. You don't need religion to be empathetic, which is really, is, I think that's... Those are still radical ideas to a lot of people, but yes, that's true. I agree yeah, with you. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I, I, I get it. But again, that's that, that's that thing, man. Like I, listening to those impeachment trials when they would start with the fucking prayer and right. they'd tell the senators that like you're accountable to God. I was like yelling at the rest, like, no, you're not. You're right. accountable to this country and to your constituents. You're not accountable to God. Like right. maybe when you get home and you're praying, that's your business. No, you're accountable to the people that put you there. When someone says they're doing it for God, it's almost like it's it's like a get out of jail free card. It, oh yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, it's totally. like it's like well, wait a second, who's God who's and what God, God and, yeah. and how do you define that God? Right. And but here, what we're talking about here is not God. What we're talking about here are the laws that our country has created that these that these people have created yeah these people no, have created there shouldn't be any spirituality in these right laws. this is a, these are laws that were def- written by people because they're supposed to apply to every person and your god is not his god or her god or that person's god or or whatever right i i don't want to go too much farther because i no, get sure. i get very on unsure footing when i start talking too deeply into politics because i don't i don't it's so divisive. Uh, it's just, it's more <laughs> yeah. divisive than religion now. It, it feels is, like. It is Maybe almost. not, but I mean, it's, it's certainly a fire starter anywhere you go. But the thing is, is that this is the great conundrum, right? It's like some people want more religion in the, in the government and the whole government was built on like separation of church and state. And the reason is because that when you start creeping towards the idea that the choices you're making have a like God stamp of approval, right? That has led to some problems throughout history. Yeah, that is not. That doesn't have a great track record. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. Maybe that's kind of what I was sniffing in what yeah. you were saying. Yeah, that sounds about right. That sounds right. It's mm. just, and maybe it's just the trying to define it at all is very difficult. Yeah, I guess maybe that's it too. Is you're just like looking at that, going, so who are we? Yeah, and it's and that's and that's a hard thing to try to impart, right. especially to someone so young. You know, I mean. He's growing up in Los Angeles in 2020. Like, he's probably not going to have to make a giant religious decision anytime in the near future, if ever. <laughs> you know, and it, it doesn't, and, it, and it's so funny. It's so different to him. Like, he got this book from the library about these rabbits. It was a Hanukkah book. And he was just like, do we have our Hanukkah candles? It was like, do we have, where's our menorah? Like, he just, it was just another holiday. It was another thing to celebrate. And he wanted, he was like, where is it? And I was just like, we don't have one. Why don't we have one? I was like, well, we're not Jewish. And he's like, did the bunnies Jewish? And I was like, I I guess they are. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It was just, it was like, different people celebrate different things. This one we don't celebrate, you know, even though, he has friends who are Jewish who celebrate Christmas too. So he's like, "Well, why?" It's like, "Oh, look! If you're just trying to get more presents, that's, <laughs> then you're doing a good job. You're a smart kid." <laughs> <laughs> but since this kind of epiphany that you had mm-hmm. at forty, has it made you, and of course, more importantly, being a father, has it made you? I don't want to try to make it sound, because I don't think you do have this, but I don't want to make it sound like the the spirit of your father lives in you. But uh-huh. are you having conversations with him in ways, you know, how we have conversations with our memories? Yeah. Are you kind of doing that now as you see your son growing? And and it's got to be in some ways really shocking to you to think, we, we intimated, you, you know, you expressed this earlier where it's like, I mean, holy fuck, man, it's just another 12 years and... And then I will have outlived my father in, in my relationship to my son. Yeah, yeah, that's and true. Another 13 years I'll have outlived him, period. Yeah. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. Wow. That's going to happen about the same time. Your relationship yeah. to your son and your oh, relationship wow. to just a genuine age. I mean, it just kind of wow. happened right here in yeah. front of me. But I mean, both of those milestones you're going to pass. Mm-hmm. And, you know, knock on wood for me, it's been a, it's a long way away because I still have my father. Yeah, my yeah. father went through this experience because his father died younger, but not... Right. All that young. Right. Uh, he was in his 50s. Yeah. But I mean, um, or 59, you know, so uh, so I guess your father would be somewhere in his low 50s yeah, or 53. something. 53. But yeah, so my father went through that at a relatively young age. Yeah. As far as the length of a life. Sure. And does your father live in your day-to-day at all or your mind? Or do you, when you, when you're, when you see yourself with your son, is he still kind of there? Or is he so far away <sighs> from your age, from, from how long it's been? The time does make it tough. So he's there, but I don't know how accurate yeah. <laughs> it is anymore because um, it's been so long. Um, 
but he's there. I used to dream about him a lot uh, and talk to him in dreams. And yeah. and I don't really do that. I don't have those dreams very much anymore. And now if I do, it it stays with me for days. Um, like the like the dream is so impactful that you're like, wow. Just the why feeling did that happen? The feeling of it is there because you know when you dream, your your brain can't tell the difference yeah. if it really happened or if you dreamt it. Well, you never pee in your dreams because. Huh. <laughs> 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 but uh, because uh, so I couldn't. So it, like my brain can't tell that I didn't just see him, mm-hmm. uh, which is uh, crazy. Right, because then you wake up and you're like, holy shit, he yeah. was just here. Yeah, he was no just way here. he wasn't. Right, right. So it's... What does that mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I think I do communicate with some some version of him. I don't know how, how accurate... Not that that matters, I don't think, but I don't yeah, know Yeah, you know, some people give a lot of weight to these things, and I don't right. really either. I, I, I also, but I have this experience, like I think we all do, you know, when you've lost someone close to you, and I haven't lost anyone as close to me as, as the experience you've had, but I've lost someone close to me, or sure. multiple people of that course. were close to my, in my life, and I, I've had those dreams that felt so vivid, and it's, it's such an interesting, uh, to me, I find it very interesting how the brain does that. Yeah. Uh, how the brain keeps these things alive, can make them feel so alive to you. Yeah. And in some ways, you know, my brain wanted to give me a, me- when someone close to me died, like my, the brain wanted to give me a message that that person was there with me. Right. Right. Like the next day I had just like the most intense dream where this woman hugged me and said goodbye. It was just like my brain comforted me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, some yeah. people would say that she came to me. Right. You know? Right. Uh, but you can also just say like my brain gave me exactly what I wanted. And it's interesting that you, it sounds like it still ripples, but way less now. But sometimes less now. Do you have? Can you access any of those um, recent experiences? Like, what was there a something you got from your father in that moment, or like, do you feel like there's something that you're learning from it, or is it just a memory that hits you? Um, it's more just memories that hit me, I yeah. think. And then the dreams are. It's just the fact that he's there. I did have one not that long ago because um, there's a writer from Memphis, a great writer, a guy named Robert Gordon. He's also a documentary filmmaker. He made a documentary that was nominated for an Oscar a few years ago called uh, Best of Fiends. It was a, or, no, Best of Enemies. It was about. Uh, uh, Gore Vidal and William F. Buckley. Oh, yeah. I saw that. Yeah, it was great. It's, that was awesome. Yeah, and Robert... It's like rare. I'm excited because I rarely see <laughs> movies, I feel like. Yeah. But I saw that, and I do remember yeah. that was great. He was one of the... Direct, two people wrote and directed it. He was one of them, and he's a... I learned a lot from that documentary. Me too. It was like... A, it, I, I didn't do none of that stuff. Yeah. And so uh, I got one of his... One of Robert's books I got over Christmas when I was in Memphis, and... Uh, when he's f- focusing on kind of like the hippie sort of like counterculture reintroduction of the old blues guys into white culture in Memphis in the like 60s and 70s, he my dad's usually featured in them. Hmm. So it was, uh, I, think I, I think he was just on my mind because I had been reading about him. And then I had a, a dream and he was just there and it was just sort of like, I, I remember, it. I, I actually kind of remember this dream. It was just, we were just kind of standing apart from each other. And I was the same age I am now. And he was 53 because that's what he'll always be in my mind. And I was just like, oh, so you're here. Wow. <laughs> it was just sort of like, uh, and I don't remember what he said. I just, I, I just remember that that was the feeling was just like, oh, you're, you're here. Wow. And so I, I, I don't know if any. Any dream analysts are listening. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm certainly not one. I love email to hear it to about Degusto it. I... <laughs> and he'll forward it. <laughs> yeah, to there me. you go. Good. Um, all right, I, I think we have time for just like one more question. Sure, sure. Um, you know, in the course of your life, of your daily life, uh-huh. what are the things that 
give you the most hope? And what are the things in life that maybe make you despair? And do you have ways of coping with those things or ways that, that you're able to relish those things if they're positive? Yeah. Um, I think the thing that gives me despair is just it doesn't I don't get the sense that people care as much about things. Hmm. Maybe this is nothing new. You know, that's the other thing. It's like there's, there's, I guess there's nothing new under the sun. But like, maybe it's just, just another version of, of the same thing. It's just now we hear every single person's opinion about every single thing. Um, people, it just doesn't seem like people care too long. Not that they don't care. They don't care to learn or they don't care to change or they get so fixed in some idea or belief that they probably think it would weaken them to change Hmm. when it's not. Changing is actually a survival mechanism, which is (laughs) evolution. It's a skill of strength when something changes. Hmm. So that, that gives me a bit of despair. But... I think that's a little more in people our age and and older. I mean, I don't spend much time with people between 20 and 30 or 15 and 30. But now that I'm around other people with kids and seeing other kids, I do get hope. They have that interest that I remember that was like how the world is – so new because it is to them it's brand new everything is new everything that's coming in is a new experience and i i feel like them their generation maybe a little older than them they're probably if they get anything by the time they're old enough to make any decisions i feel like they'll probably do something pretty good with it if Mm -hmm. our generation the kind of like if the generation xers can sort of once the the boomers are are, are <laughs> and I, I you know I'm just, whatever I hate using all these terms but whatever no, they're they're how we understand what you're saying yeah so, so once it. they kind of are gone or they let go they they're just gonna have to go because they won't let go of the power that's the thing is they just won't let go of the power um, so if if like if we can at least be like all right. We're probably not the people to fix it, but maybe we can just make it a little better status quo. Not going to get it, not going to make it any worse. (laughs) Maybe these younger people, I'm putting a lot on younger people, but maybe they can help us save it for what's coming forward. Um, And I don't know, that's, that might be a little bleak. Um, Uh, It's impressive. I think the thing to take from it is that you're impressed by the younger generation. I am. I am impressed by them. They, uh, you're not so impressed with our generation or the generation above, but you know uh, our generation. Yeah. Our generation's not bad. We got some. We got some good ones. We got some not so good. Everybody's got you know. There's turds in every punch bowl, I suppose. <laughs> but there's like, uh, I am. I just think that they're gonna kind. Of, I hope that they're gonna kind of like realize like from the last five years or whatever that didn't. Not a lot of good went on and the few people that were powerful got more powerful. It's like, there is so much information out there. And as you were just, everybody's got fixed ideas. Everyone's just shouting opinions. The other side of it is this, this younger generation knows a lot. They They, are aware of a lot of things. They have a lot of information at their fingertips. And there are some really impressive young people doing some very large global Ideas. Yeah, and we kind of owe them an apology to have put it all on them. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> well. Sorry. <laughs> we didn't do that. <laughs> Bake, thanks, man. Yeah, thank you. This, this was cool. really beautiful and generous and, yeah, and my um, pleasure. compelling because it was shocking and surprising at points. And uh, But it's also really lovely to hear you share about the journey out of all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the most important thing. Things happen. It's really, you know, there's a, what is, there's a line in No Country for Old Men that's like, you can't stop what's coming. That's just, it's so bleak, but it's so true. Hmm. It's like, you can't, but if you get through it, then you can, if you survive it, then you can get through it. Hmm. I think, I think. Well, look, you're an example of that. Sure, 
Yeah. yeah. I mean, and you know, I, I don't mean to put you again, I don't want to put you on it. See, that's almost, I did the thing to you that you never wanted to do is what you never told anybody is like, I don't want to be different. You know, I don't want to be made uh, yeah, to be well, different. I, now, I, oh, are you kidding? Now that I'm, now it's all I want. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all you want to do is blend in when you're, you know, a teenager or whatever you just, or, you know, and then once you're, you get old, older, the last thing you want to be is, you know face in the crowd <laughs> i think i don't know well man you, you told a unique story that's for sure man yeah yeah um and i i really appreciate it thank you thanks for having me it was cool and thank you all for listening We've probably skewed a bit from from God. No, this is the way they typically go. Oh, okay, because it's not just God; it's just like God and the things that feel vaguely out not of, of the world. Right? Yes. You know. Yes. Gotcha. I just yeah. like hearing how people think about these different things.